Well, turn with me to the book of Ruth. Ruth chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 16 in a minute. You ever been really amazed at something? You ever read something, seen something, and just said, that's amazing. I read some stuff this week, true stories that happened to people, and when I finished reading them, I thought, that's, that's amazing. Uh, now, remember, amazing can be good amazing, or it can be bad amazing. Uh, here you go. The average cost of rehabilitating a seal after an oil spill is about $80,000. $80,000 to rehabilitate a seal that's been harmed in an oil spill. Uh, recently, at a special ceremony, two of the most expensively saved animals, so at least $160,000, were released back into the wild amid cheers and applause from onlookers. One minute later, they were both eaten by a killer whale. That's amazing. <laughs> Spend all that money. Uh, two animal rights protesters were protesting the cruelty of sending pigs to a slaughterhouse in Germany. Suddenly the pigs, all 2,000 of them, escaped through a broken fence and stampeded, trampled both protesters to death. That's amazing. Here, this was one of my favorite. Woman came home to find her husband in the kitchen, shaking frantically with what looked like a wire from his waist toward the electric kettle. Intending to jolt him away from the deadly current, she whacked him with a plank of wood that was near her back door, breaking his arm in two places. Up until that moment, he had been happily dancing to music on his iPod. That's amazing. Uh, I, I think the book of Ruth is amazing in a good way. It is a wonderful story of the amazing grace of God. There is nowhere in the Bible that you find the mighty grace of God, the mighty miraculous work of God, any better displayed than in the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth opens with a tragedy. It ends with a victory. It is a story of how God takes a Gentile, a Moabite woman, brought her out of death and darkness and made her part of the covenant people of Israel. It is a story of how this woman was transformed from a lost sinner to an ancestor. She's listed in the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a story of a sinner being pursued by the grace of God. And to me, when I read that, I end up saying, that's amazing. Our verse for today is a familiar one. Uh, in fact, probably it is the most familiar verse in the whole book. We often hear it read at wedding ceremonies. I've never understood why, because it's not about a wedding. Uh, this woman is not saying this to her husband. She's saying it to her mother-in-law. Uh, she's not saying it at a wedding. She is saying this at the end of three funerals. So let's stand together in honor and reverence to the reading of God's inspired, infallible, inerrant word and look at what she says 
in Ruth chapter 1, verse 16, but Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Father, now I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us so that we might see the amazing grace that you have bestowed upon each one of us who follow you. As we examine this story of Ruth, help us to see how you brought her from a place of tragedy to a place of victory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's the back background. Ruth's mother-in-law was a woman by the name of Naomi. And Naomi was originally from Israel. But during a famine in the land, her husband had uh, come to her and said, Naomi, let's move away. There's a famine. So they took uh, Naomi, her husband, and their two sons, and they went down to Moab. Uh, while they were in Moab, the boys found two local girls to marry. One was named Orpah, the other one was named Ruth. Moab is the very last place these people should have gone. In fact, Psalm, in, in, in the 60th Psalm, verse 8, uh, the psalmist describes Moab as God's washpot. That's how the Bible describes the land of Moab, as God's washpot. And that's not a compliment, by the way. It is, if, if, if a Jew were to describe something as the washpot, that was a sign of utter contempt. So the very last place that Elimelech should have taken his family was Moab, but they go there. And so the book of Ruth takes place in these dark days, it occurs historically at the same time that the book of Judges in your Bible is taking place. So it's during that period of time uh, historically, and if you'll remember from the book of Judges, what does Moses say about this? He says, the, there was no king in the land, there was no king in Israel, and the key verse, the key part of that is, everybody did what was right in his own eyes. There was no king in Israel, and everybody did what was right. In other words, it, just like today, everybody's got their own truth. Can I just tell you something? Don't walk around and say, this is my truth. There's no such thing. There's no such thing as your truth. Truth is truth, and it's true for everybody. Not just true for you. If it is truly truth, then it's true across the board. It's true for everybody at any time, at any place. That's what truth is. So you can't walk around and just say, well, this is my truth and that's your truth. And I think those things are mutually exclusive of one another. This was a day of anarchy. This was a day of apostasy. This was a day of religious hypocrisy. And so while they are in Moab, Naomi finds herself all of a sudden having to plan three funerals. Her husband died and both her sons died. And that leaves then Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth. All three are now widows. Naomi decides one day that she's going to move back to Israel. And she goes to the girls and she says, girls, listen, 
I'm going back home. You need to stay right here where you are in your home country of Moab. You, uh, you're not Jews. And so I'm going back to Israel. You stay here in Moab. Uh, maybe you're young enough. You, you should be able to find a new husband. I'm old. That can't happen for me, so I'll just go home. Orpah decides, okay, that sounds like a good plan. I'll stay. But Ruth decides something different, and Ruth made a commitment that day that forever changed her life. Even in the midst of heartache, even in the midst of having to bury her husband and her father-in-law, Ruth makes a commitment showing us that God was still at work, that God was still on his throne. Maybe you came into this room today and you might say, well, Pastor Keith, I sure know about that. I know about dark days, and I need some hope. I'm down. I'm depressed. I'm discouraged. I'm defeated. I'm ready to throw in the towel because sometimes it feels like life is just too hard, and I don't think I can take it anymore. Well, let me tell you something. God has a word for you today. He has a word from the scripture for you. No matter what you've done, no matter how badly you've messed up in your life, no matter how bad or dark your life may seem at this moment, God is a God of might and miracles. God is a God of grace, and God can work a miracle in your life. He can work a miracle in your marriage. He can work a miracle in your job. He can work a miracle in your life the same way he works a miracle in Ruth's life. The key is commitment. It's not a very popular word in our culture today, but that's the key here. Sometimes we sing an old hymn with these words. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Wherever he leads, I'll go. I'll follow my Christ who loves me so. Wherever he leads, I'll go. I wonder how much truth is really in that statement for you. Would you really follow Jesus anywhere? Would you really follow Jesus everywhere he would lead you? I heard about this preacher who was praying early one morning. As he was praying, his wife walked out of the kitchen, and she walked down the hall. She heard him uh, praying. He was on his knees, and he said, Father, I just want to be so perfectly in your will that I will do anything that you ask of me. I'll go anywhere you would lead me. I'll do anything you want me to do, even if that means that you want me to go to the heart of some uh, deep, thick, dark jungle in some foreign, barren country far, far away from here. And she heard him praying that. At that point, she couldn't keep her presence a secret any longer. She knelt down beside him, and she placed her hand on his back, and she said, And Lord, if to one of these places you would lead him, Please, Lord, be sure you give him a buddy. Be sure you give him a pal. Be sure you give him a good friend who's willing to go with him. You see, she didn't have the commitment, and she didn't have uh, the, she wasn't convinced. 
She wasn't convinced that she was going to go anywhere God told her to go. She wasn't convinced that she was going to do anything God told her to do. Sometimes I wonder, how well convinced are we about following God? Are you truly committed to following God wherever he leads you? As Ruth says, she says, I'll go wherever you go. Your people be my people. Your God's going to be my God. I'm making a commitment this morning. She wasn't making so much of a commitment to Naomi as she was making a commitment to Naomi's God. Let me tell you something. When you make that kind of commitment in your life, I'm going to promise you something. It's going to lead to change, and we don't like that. And that's why we're not committed We like things to stay the way they are. We like to do it in a routine. We like to to have our things laid out for us. We don't want any kind of change. Well, let 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 me share with you this morning three principles about change, and then I'll close with a principle about God. Here's the first one. Whenever you say, whenever you say to God, wherever you go, I will go. Here's what it means in your life. Number one, it means you're no longer in control. It means you're not in control anymore. We don't like that, do we? We like to be in control. Here's Ruth. Her husband has died. She's a Moabite woman. She's married to a Jew. She has absolutely no financial stability in her life. And now, those are not small changes Small changes that we don't have any control over don't seem to bother us very much. You can change your hairstyle, that's okay. You can change the furniture around in the room, and that's okay. You can paint, uh, you can change the color of the paint in your house, and that's okay. Those are easy changes. Those are changes that don't bother us. But change is hard. Change is hard when we face changes that are not of our own choosing. We like to be in control. We go to restaurants where we can have choices so we can control what we get. Uh, Back in the days when Saturday Night Live was actually funny, uh, there was a skit that they used to do about a restaurant that only served cheeseburgers and Pepsi. You're old as I am, you'll remember that. It didn't matter what you ordered. So the skit was, if you went into this restaurant, you could order anything you wanted to, but they were going to bring you a cheeseburger and a Pepsi, because that's all they did. We're not doing anything else, and so no matter what you ordered, if you went for breakfast, you got a cheeseburger and a Pepsi. It didn't matter. I don't care what you want. You come in this place, you're going to get a cheeseburger and a Pepsi. That's what the owner used to say. I wouldn't go to a place like that, would you? I want control. I want to do what I want to do. I want to get what I want to get. When you say to God, wherever you go, I'll go, you just gave up control of your life. You give up control. Here's the second thing that happens when you say that. So when you say, wherever you go, I'll go, wherever you lodge, I'll lodge, you lose control. Here's the second thing you begin to move out of your comfort zone. You move out of your comfort zone. Again, these are hard things. We don't like to do that. We're like Sheldon on Big Bang Theory. Hey, you're in my spot. 
I want things the same. I want it always the same. You've heard me say it many times, but it's true. Nobody likes change except a baby with a wet diaper. And even he cries. Here's a Moabite girl, Ruth, who says to Naomi, a Jewish woman, wherever you go, I'll go. Wherever you lodge, I'll lodge. Wherever Your people are going to be my people. Your God going to be my God. She's moving out of her comfort zone. Wouldn't you agree with that? If you pay much attention to human behavior, you'll quickly discover that we are all pattern-making creatures. We create patterns in our lives, and then we become more comfortable with the pattern than we are with change. And soon those patterns become ruts, and then we get stuck in a rut. Let me give you a definition of a rut. A rut is nothing but a grave with both ends kicked out. A rut is a grave with both ends kicked out. You say, preacher, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not one of those folks. I'm not afraid of moving out of my comfort zone. Oh, really? Really? Do you sit in the same place every single Sunday morning when you come to church? And if you show up and somebody is sitting in the place where you normally sit, you'll never admit this, but I've seen it with my own eyes. So I know you won't admit it because it's not any of y'all. I'm, I'm talking about the 11 o'clock crowd. I'm not talking about y'all. If somebody's sitting in the spot where you normally sit, I've seen the looks that they are given. You're in my spot. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to sit. I can't worship today because I'm not in my spot. I'm not where I belong. So don't tell me you're not a pattern-making creature. When we commit ourselves to follow Jesus, however, wherever he leads, I want you to write it down. It means you're going to leave your comfort zone. Think about the other two women in this story for a minute. Naomi has decided she's going to change her name. Her husband's dead. Her sons are dead. She said, I'm going to change my name. My name right now is Naomi. That means pleasure. My name is pleasure, but I'm going to change it to bitterness, Mara. She says, my name is Naomi, but I'm changing it from now on. Don't call me Naomi anymore. There is no pleasure in my life. You call me Mara. I'm bitter. I'm defeated. But just think about it. Naomi had no income. She had no place to live. She had no husband, and she's unable to have any more sons. She doesn't have anything to look forward to. And as she looks at her life, here's what she sees. For the rest of my life, I see grief and I see pain. That's all I can see. She has nothing left but what? The Lord. She's got nothing left but the Lord. And unfortunately, at this point, Naomi is so backslidden, she can't see that the Lord is all she needed to begin with. She's so backslidden because things have changed. We're not doing what we've always done. We're not handling things the same way we've always handled it. 
My life is over. All I got is a relationship with God. Well, that's all you need. That's all you need. She even encourages her daughters-in-law to return to their pagan gods and their worldly lifestyles. She says, girls, listen, I'm changing my name from pleasure to bitterness because all I see in my life from this point on is grief and pain, and you'd be better off if you stay here in Moab. You'd be better off if you just stay here and worship these um, gods that the Moabites worship. She has lost the ability to even witness for the glory of God. That's what sin does in your life. Sin in our life keeps us from witnessing to others about the glory of God. Naomi has lost control. She's out of her comfort zone, and she is hopeless. Orpah's in no better shape. She reminds me of the person who's nothing more than a professor of faith in God. She's always talked about believing in God, but then when things get tough... Out the door she goes, never to be heard from again. They talked about serving God. They talked about loving God. But if you don't do it the way I say do it, I'm not ever coming back. If you don't follow the pattern that I think you ought to follow, I don't want anything more to do with this. That's somebody who wasn't saved to begin with. They don't have any fruit coming out of their lives. And the first sign of trouble... They walk away from the light. They walk away from the church. And they're never heard from again. My friend, listen to me. Don't turn your back on Jesus. He's the only hope you got. So Ruth shows us a different way. Naomi's backslidden. Orpah never was a believer to begin with. She just got married when the husband died. She's ready to go back off and do whatever. Ruth, Ruth shows us something different. She has no control over her life, but she's committed to following Naomi's God. Does it ever, doesn't it seem strange to you that Naomi, Naomi's backslidden, she ain't following God. She's not living for the Lord. There's no fruit in her life. And and Ruth, a Moabite, is more willing to follow Naomi's God than Naomi was. And Ruth knew when she said, wherever you go, I'll go. Wherever you live, I'll live. Your people be my people. She hadn't met any of her people. The only Jews that Ruth knew were Naomi her dead father-in-law, her dead husband, and her dead brother-in-law. Those are the only Jews she ever knew. And yet she said, your people are going to be my people, your God's going to be my God. She's moving out of her comfort zone into the unknown, but she was willing to go. Ruth teaches us that when you make a commitment to follow Jesus, you give up control of your life. You'll probably have to move out of your comfort zone. Change is coming. 
Here's the third thing. When you make the commitment to follow Jesus and you truly make it, here's what you believe deep down in your heart. You believe that better times are coming. It may look dark now. It may seem hopeless now. But better times are coming. You ever thought about the fact that every great character in the Bible who was greatly blessed also had great challenges in their life? I've discovered a repeating pattern in the Scripture. It is the way that God delivers his blessing. First, you'll find God's promise. Every blessing that you and I receive from God starts with a promise, a promise from God. He always begins that way. But here's my problem. Maybe it's your problem. I want it now. I want the promise immediately. But in the Bible, there's always a, a second stage that people have to go through. It starts with the promise, and then they have problems. <laughs> Isn't that the way life is? When God makes a promise to me, I want it now. You know, I've, I've often said, when I got saved, I wish God had just killed me right then, took me right on to heaven, let me just go on and be in heaven. But he didn't. For 50 years since I got saved, I've had to walk through this world. And I've had to deal with the troubles and the trials and all the problems of this world. And you know what? Sometimes I'd like to skip that part. I'd like to skip the problem part. But I've, have, I've learned that you have to go through that part to get to the third part. There's a promise. There are problems. But when you get to the end, there's provision. There's provision. God always delivers. You can, you can try and avoid problems throughout your life. But I'm going to tell you something, if you do, if you ever figure out how to do that, I've not met anybody yet who can, but if you ever figure out how to do that, I can guarantee you one thing, you will never truly enjoy the provision of God. God knows you, he knows me, and he knows I'm not always ready to receive the blessing that he has for me. He knows he's got to do some work in my life in order to get me uh, where I need to be. And so he graciously allows me to go through certain problems to prepare me for the provision so that when I get it, I'm more thankful for it. I want to skip the problems. I want to skip the bad part and just go to the, to the good part. I got the promise. I want to go to the provision. But I got to go through the problems. Ruth was looking beyond her current circumstances. She was committing herself. She was saying, I'm going to go with God. I, I'm going to move from problem to provision. You want another example of that? How about Joseph? How about Joseph in Genesis? As a teenager, Joseph had a dream one day that all his older brothers were bowing down to him. And so he went out to the field and he said, hey guys, I had this dream and uh, one day you all are going to bow down to me. And they didn't take too kindly to that, nor would I have had I been one of his brothers. And so they tried to kill him and throw him in a hole. And then they decided they'd sell him into slavery. And so he's had this dream that one day all the brothers are going to bow down to him. And he tells them, and they say, oh, that's not happening. 
And they throw him in a hole, and then they sell him into slavery. And then he gets over there into Egypt, into Potiphar's house. And Miss Potiphar takes a liking to him, and she keeps trying to come on to him and come on to him. And he won't do anything, so she accuses him of rape. He ends up going to prison for something he didn't do. His life just goes from bad to worse. And yet, Joseph never stopped believing that in the end, it was going to be better than it was at the beginning. He never stopped believing. And there came a time, there eventually came a time when the brothers came to Egypt and they needed food. And what'd they do? They bowed down before Joseph. Where are you in that process this morning? If you're going through a painful time in your life today, let me tell you, rejoice. Rejoice. You may be fixing to have your blesser blessed off. God may be preparing you for a great blessing in your life that you could not even imagine. How could Ruth do what she did? How could she make that kind of commitment and give up control and move out of her comfort zone and look to a better future? She could do it because of the last thing I want to tell you, and it's something we know about God. Here's what I know about God. No matter what, no matter what, God is our steady refuge. No matter what. Let me give you a couple of scriptures. Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a helper who is always found in time of trouble. Or Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. Because I, Yahweh, have not changed, you descendants of Jacob have not been destroyed. There is a theological term that we use here. It's called the immutability of God. And that's just a $5 word for saying this. God never changes. He never changes. It's not that he can't change. He could change. If he wanted to, he's God. He doesn't need to. He doesn't need to. God is perfect. So why would you improve on that? You and I have to keep changing because we're imperfect. We're sinful. And we live in an imperfect, sinful world. Here's what Jeremiah, what God said to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31, 3. And, and, and I heard Elizabeth Elliot. Uh, if you're not familiar with Elizabeth Elliot, you ought to be. Um, email me, text me, do something. Let me give you some books to read by Elizabeth Elliot. Oh, what a marvelous and wonderful servant of God. I heard her quote this verse more times than I can count. Jeremiah 31, 3. I have loved you with an everlasting love. That's what God told Jeremiah. That's what he's telling you and me. I've loved you with an everlasting, you may not feel lovable sometimes, but that's okay, because God loves you anyway. We all have good days and bad days, but God loves you on your good days when you do the right thing, and God loves you just as much on your bad days when you don't do the right things.
He still loves us because it's not based on, listen, God's love is not based on our performance. It's based on his character. It's based on his character. Maybe some of you have been burned badly by love. Somebody told you they'd love you forever and they lied. 1 Samuel 15, 29, here's what it says. God is not a man that he should change his mind. (laughs) God's not a man that he should change. I know that's incorrect grammar, but that's good theology. Write this down. God can't not love me. That's good. God can't not love me. And listen, some of you may need to say that out loud. Every day when you get up, God can't not love me. I have loved you, loved you with an everlasting love. Ruth understood something that Naomi was having a hard time remembering. God's love never changes. God's word never changes. God's plans never change. Psalm 33:11 says the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. My plans often change cuz I don't know the future. I don't know what's going to happen today, but God does not have that limitation on him. One expression that has never been uttered by God. One expression that has never been uttered by God is, uh uh-oh. You ever thought about that? Has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? God doesn't get up in the morning and say, wonder what's going to happen today. God's not sitting on his throne all through the day while you're doing whatever it is you're doing and then something happens in your life and God looks at the angels and said, I didn't see that coming. That never happens because he does not change. He cannot change. It's not that he can't. He won't change. He doesn't need to change. It is the immutability of God and so therefore God cannot not love you. And Ruth understood that. Sometimes my plans change because I don't have the necessary resources to complete the job. Not God. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And he owns the hills that the cattle graze on. Bible says, is there anything too hard for God? And the answer to that is nope. No. No. 1 Thessalonians 1.9, for they themselves report what kind of reception we had from you, how you turned from, God, from idols to God or turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. That's the commitment that Ruth made that day. She turned to God from idols so that she could serve the living and true God. Well, Pastor Keith, that doesn't apply to me because I don't serve idols. Well, now, before you make that statement, let me say this. An idol is anything that you put before God. An idol is anything in your life that you put before God. So it could be your car. could be your house, your job. 
your husband, your wife, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your family, your children, your hobby, anything, anything that you put before God is an idol. Well, I've gone down some dead-end roads and I've made some wrong turns along the way. I've made some foolish choices along the road. Well, that may be true, but here's what I know. God has not given up on you. You can still get back on track. It's like the GPS on my phone. When I make a wrong turn, I go out of the way. She doesn't say, you idiot. I quit. I'm not telling you nothing else. Get there the best way you can because you won't do a thing I tell you. You know what she says? She says, recalculating. That's what she says every time. I make a wrong turn. She says, recalculating. And she helps me get back on track. If my GPS can do that, how much more can God do that in your life? How much more can he do that? Maybe you need some recalculation today. And it all starts with a commitment like Ruth made. Wherever you go, I'll go. Wherever you live, I'll live. Your people be my people. Your God will be my God. In order to make that commitment, it requires a change in behavior. But the result is you will have a great faith in an even greater God.